Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 142 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Today I have some more new season planning to share with pallets of shiny new kit and a thought or two about early season queen rearing. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're all well and keeping warm during what appears to finally be winter. We had snow today, the first week of January, and finally we get some snow. Obviously, it's the big kid in me that makes me smile every time we get any amount of snowfall. And it's becoming a fairly rare event for us here in Norfolk. And unfortunately, today's snow wasn't a meaningful amount either. In fact, I decided to shoot a little video on my phone to send to my daughter in Pennsylvania to show her that we too get snow. But you can only really see one large snowflake and then it stops. In the time it took me to send a WhatsApp message with the words, It's snowing. It had stopped and I had to follow it up with a message saying it stopped. Oh well, we have time yet and no doubt when we do get any significant snowfall, we'll all be moaning about it. So that's the weather report for today. It looks like we're heading for some chilly nights as well with temperatures down to minus 4 or 5 degrees Celsius. That's around 41 or 42 degrees Fahrenheit. So this week I have some more new season plans to share kind of coupled with the delivery that I got yesterday of all the new kit from Modern Beekeeping. That's the honeypore hives, the plastic frames and the wax clarifier. I also got a batch of fondant to feed the bees. That's the Apipasta fondant with added vitamins and I'll be heading out to the apiaries over the weekend, uh, I suspect, to check up on them and top up fondant where it's needed. Last week, we talked about swapping out colonies into the new Honeypore Langstroth equipment and using the new plastic frames. We've got several options in managing the hives that remain in the commercial and national hives, and I thought I'd share some of that with you. And we've also got the apiary at the fishing lakes that are in the Maysmore 14x12s. The main thrust of converting colonies over to the Honeypore range means we'll be left with frames of brood and food. Remember, I'm using the Shook Swarm method to move the bees out of the non-Langstroth hives and into the honey pores. This is going to leave me with a fairly large amount of frames, which in some cases, I have no doubt, will leave a significant amount of brood that I really don't want to waste. But before I go any further down this road, I have to just remind myself that I'm talking about colonies that will have been checked and double-checked for any signs of disease. The biggest concern will be chronic bee paralysis virus for me here at the moment. I'm not so worried about AFB or EFB as I tend to keep a close watch on my colonies for these anyway and I'm happy that currently we're clear. But with the proviso in place that the colonies are healthy I can double up brood boxes on the commercial and nationals and 14 by 12s perhaps and allow colonies that haven't been given the shook swarm treatment to have an extra box and hopefully lots of capped brood that will boost the colony strength 
just as the spring nectar flow is hitting. I still have to get my backside out and physically work out which colonies are likely to be the nominated bees for that treatment. And of course that's really going to depend on how they get through the next six to eight weeks. But with the addition of extra fondant to keep them stocked up with food, I'm hopeful we'll have enough colonies to try out several of these different techniques. Talking of which, I mentioned at the last Zoom meeting that we're going to try some hives without queen excluders. I may have already mentioned this, but the plan is to experience what it's like to manage colonies without queen excluders. It's not something I've ever done before, and, well, why not, I guess? These colonies won't be treated like the rest when it comes to adding supers. Instead, I'm going to add an extra brood box and just let them do what they do. I don't have boxes and boxes of drawn comb, unfortunately, so it's going to need a decent flow of nectar to get them going. But I think a triple stack of brood boxes ought to give them enough room to build a brood nest as big as they want and store plenty of honey for me to take as a spring crop. These frames can then be used as replacement brood frames when necessary or simply kept to be reused as honey production frames. I can see a couple of issues, particularly in the spring. Firstly, swarming. If I don't have enough room on the bees soon enough, they won't be able to build comb quickly enough for the queen as she increases her egg laying on a day-to-day -day basis. That's a sure way to see them swarming, and I don't want to feed them syrup as the frames may well end up being honey production frames. So timing's going to be critical, and I'm guessing a week early rather than a week late is going to be my preferred approach, so we'll see how that goes. Secondly, the big issue is going to be, am I able to manage lifting these boxes in order to inspect, especially if they get filled with honey? I may have a temporary solution, but I'll let you know more about that as and when I get confirmation. Inspecting bees, particularly in spring, is something that can't be rushed. I'm not a tip and scan beekeeper. By that I mean splitting the bottom box from the floor, tilting it back and looking at the bottom of the frames for queen cells. I see far more queen cells hidden away from the bottom of the frame to know that if I went that way I'm going to lose a lot of bees to swarming. So I'll carry on checking each frame for queen cells, certainly while the spring swarming period is upon us. This does mean I have to lift boxes off the hive to get at the lower boxes, so I'm going to have to see how it goes. Maybe it's just not going to be possible with my back issues, but we'll see. I certainly don't want to mess up my back in April and be crocked for the subsequent three or four months. I'll give it a try and let you know. Obviously, there'll be videos aplenty. Talking of swarming, I'll definitely be clipping queens again this spring. It saved me a lot of missed swarms and gave me a chance to recover situations and not lose either bees or honey production. And I'll cover off clipping queens in another podcast later in the spring when we get the process underway. I mentioned the new kit earlier. That's arrived at last. Not that there's been any delay at all, just me being excited for it to be delivered. As ever, Paul was spot on with his messages and emails. The transport company telephoned me as agreed and arranged for a mutually agreeable delivery day. And yesterday, they arrived at the appointed day and time, offloaded the pallets with the minimum of fuss, and left me 
with kit floor to ceiling and wondering where the heck I'm going to put it. It's just a temporary challenge though. Once the boxes are made up and filled with frames, we can get them out for painting and over to the apiaries. Just to recap, we have 25 honey pour poly Langstroths, each with an extra brood box, plastic frames for all of them, a wax clarifier and a heap of fondant, so it takes up a lot of room. I can't wait to get started on it all though. It's dead simple to make up, just a squirt of glue and push together. Painting may be an issue, but I'm hoping we can use the fence sprayer that Craig sent me to paint a stack of maybe 10 at a time. I just need a better colour paint than the baby blue stuff I bought last year. It's not that I don't like the colour, it's just the hives tend to stick out like a sore thumb against a dark green hedge line. I'm looking forward to trying out the wax clarifier too. I'm hoping it will save a lot of money in the long run in not having to repeatedly heat up wax for straining and filtering. And yes, there'll be videos featuring this bit of kit to follow soon, I'm sure. Moving on, I've had a few messages and emails this week regarding my strategy for queen rearing this year and asking for suggestions about how to produce homebred queens. So I thought I might touch on the subject today with a view of expanding into more detail as we get closer to the time. I've always enjoyed queen rearing. It can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. You can produce just one or two queens or go into full scale production and create hundreds and you have complete control of the timing of when and where. The biggest challenge of course comes in the traits of the queen that you produce or rather the traits of her offspring. And by that, most beekeepers, I guess, are looking at temperament. Can we produce nice, calm bees that are easy to manage and inspect? It's not such an issue when you're thinking in terms of commercial bee farming. Grumpy bees tend to come with the territory, and you just get on with it. But it doesn't make the job particularly pleasant or easy when you're being harangued by a bunch of worker bees that move from hive to hive with you, so you lose all sense of whether a colony is calm or not. That said, I would always prefer calmer bees. It makes the job of inspecting faster, saving me time, and I'm more focused on what I'm seeing rather than removing the next sting. And I tend not to miss things when those distractions are not present. So having established I'd like calm bees, the first thing to do is to carry out an assessment of the stocks that I have and choose one or two colonies to breed from. Again, this can be as complicated or as simple as you like. Keep accurate records and you can spend the next few weeks going through the data and making a selection. Not overly complicated if you have just a dozen hives. Having made the selection, there are many ways you can produce new queen cells from your chosen mother queen, but the early season can throw up queen rearing opportunities that can be taken advantage of, and by that I mean swarming. It's sometimes seen as the most stressful time of the year as beekeepers struggle and battle with colonies to delay and prevent swarming, but it also brings with it an opportunity. Swarm cells are some of the very best queen cells you can have for producing a new queen, so why not take advantage of them? Creating an artificial swarm is a very straightforward process and one not to be ignored as a great way of replacing an aging queen or building up stocks of bees quickly. I would add a word of caution in as much as if the colony throws up 30 or 40 queen cells, they may not be the best option for breeding from. But if that's all you have, then go for it. 
don't be frightened of splitting a colony into several nukes. I've used the two nukes from one parent colony setup on many occasions and it works really well. You can take this further and split into three, four or even five nukes at once if you wanted to. It does create a short-term loss of honey if you go that far, but that single colony could give you multiple full-sized hives for the summer and to overwinter next year. These are my two main early spring queen rearing techniques, artificial swarms and splits with sealed queen cells. The key to success is somewhat out of my hands though. We're looking for lots of drones and some fair weather for successful mating. It really doesn't matter how many queen cells you have. If there are no drones, it's just not going to happen. And if the weather turns cold and wet, this could also scupper any chances of successful matings. I encountered this problem a couple of seasons ago. We had lots of early queen cells, but not so many drones and poor weather at a crucial time. It resulted in poorly mated queens, and in some cases, unmated queens. Most went on to become drone-laying queens and had to be replaced, wasting an awful lot of time, effort and equipment. You could increase the number of drones by using a frame of drone brood foundation in your hives, but early season, I like the colonies to decide what balance of drones to workers they need. It's not until we get into late spring and early summer that I might raise some additional drones. I mentioned earlier that I'll be clipping queens again, and this is really helpful in the queen rearing process at the start of the season. If a colony decides to swarm, and I've missed the signs for whatever reason, the clipped queen gives me an opportunity to regain control of the process. I can gather up the clipped queen in most cases, pop her into a nuke box with a frame or two of bees, and then go through the old hive checking for queen cells and making my selection. For me, I can take several splits and create multiple nukes without hitting honey production. Those nukes can then be left to build up and become part of the operation acting as a supplier of brood for medium and smaller colonies, perhaps using the queen to replace a failing queen, or swapping out frames of food from a very large colony to allow the development of additional brood. One well-tended nuke can be a great help to as many as three or four hives in an apiary, and it's worth investing in a few nuke boxes for just this reason. So to recap, my early season queen rearing aligns itself with how the bees are performing. Queen cells produced for swarming gives me an opportunity to develop additional stocks, knowing the colonies are producing large, plump queen cells that should give us some nice queens if conditions are favourable. Later in the season, I'll switch to a more managed system, such as the Nico or Genta system, and we'll no doubt talk more of that in the future weeks. Well, that's it for this week. Check out the links in the podcast notes for more information about the topics today. But until next time, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Mm-hmm.